from Brooklyn, New York, I'm Adam Teeter. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the Vine Pair Podcast. Zach, I'm super pumped to, to talk about today's uh, subject matter, which happens to be connected with our ad for this week. So I'm going to go ahead and get into it. Cool? Absolutely. Our culture is changing, and so should wine. Our response to the shift, Lyft Collective, formerly Wonder Women of Wine, is a multi-channel platform innovating the constructs of the wine world through thoughtful discussion, scholarship, opportunities, and mentorship. We're less about behind-the-scenes efforts made by select few and more about collaboration, conversation, and transparency between our partners and collaborators. Rooted in advocacy, Lyft Collective welcomes all people to the chat. Interested in learning more? Tickets are now on sale for its annual conference taking place virtually on March 23rd and 24th. Visit www.liftcollective.org to grab your spot. I'm I'm attending, so I mean, I think everyone else I was like, you're speaking, are you not? I mean, I'm only speaking because our our guest today, like asked me to and i was super honored <laughs> but yeah no, I, I, I feel I, I feel not qualified to be one of the speakers there's too many way more accomplished people than me um i just wanted to, i mean but i'm really excited to attend i think it's gonna be an awesome conference yeah and i can't wait to get into it um but before we do so i think um some readers are aware of this who read vp pro that uh, part of the incentive to get other people to sign up for vp pro is if you get a certain amount of people to sign up you get to unlock Zach and I answering one of your questions on, uh, yeah, on the VP podcast, the Vine Pair podcast. So this one comes from Vic from Dublin City Brewery. Um, and his question to uh, Zach and I is, it seems that nowadays the brewing world is obsessed by hard seltzers and low no alk beers. What are the new and emerging industry trends you think are go- we're going to see in 2021? Woo! Oh. Vic, that's a, uh, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's, that's a big question, Vic. Um, yeah, that's a whole podcast episode in, uh, in one question. And also I have to, I'm going to be completely honest. Adam did not give me this question in advance. So I'm going to make him answer first while I think about how I'm going to answer this one. I mean, I hate to, I hate to tell you this, Vic, but the, the trend is going to continue to be on Seltzer yeah. for 2021. Um, I think the pandemic slowed, you know, it, it still was really strong, but uh, what the pandemic did not allow hard seltzer to take advantage of uh, was on-premise. And when on-premise comes back, it's going to come back really strong with hard seltzer. I think you you already um, are hearing of operators who are trying to figure out how they add hard seltzer draft lines to their uh, to their bar programs, uh, how they add hard seltzer to sort of their, their list to bring on more cans, um, you know, if you are listening to this podcast, you are probably familiar with the interview we did recently. Um, or if you're listening to this podcast, you know about our other podcast, End of Day Drinks. Um, and we did an interview recently with the uh, head of beverage for Buffalo Wild Wings, who is the largest retailer in the country of craft beer. Uh, and they have basically been extremely bullish and open also about the fact that they're going to be adding massive amounts of hard seltzer to uh, the restaurant's post uh, post pandemic when, when places start to reopen. So I, yeah, I, I wish I could tell you Vic that there'd be other things, but it's, it's hard seltzer. I mean, I think the other thing that we'll see, and we touched on this also in a recent episode is I do think, um, you know, fruit beers are going to be big and not yeah. necessarily like fruit sours, but more like, uh, let's say more kind of broadly appealing, whether that's citrus, whether that's maybe berries, things like that, as we get into summer, like, I think the same conversation in some way that we had a whole year ago, almost when COVID started and we talked about what would be, what would be big trends in, in 2020. I think we were pretty right on in terms of like fruit and berries. I mean, 
where things are looking maybe slightly up, but it's still going to be a weird, not super normal, fun summer. But I think where you're going to see a lot of people interested is in that. Let's have some fun, fruit forward, fruity beers that are delicious and that are the kind of thing too. And this comes back to the question about, especially for uh, breweries and and on-premise consumption that don't travel well and that don't hold up well. And so when you are opening up your outdoor beer gardens and, and tap rooms and things like that, the kinds of beers that are really going to be rooted in that space and aren't going to go into distribution and into retail exactly are going to be those fruit beers. I think those will be a big thing too. Yep, totally. So I, I think instead of talking about what we're drinking, why don't we ask our guest first what she's drinking? Uh, so Zach, you want to, do you want to do the honors? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, it, we, we are super thrilled to be joined by um, Ronnie Zayat from um, Lyft Collective, uh, one of the co-founders and an incredibly talented beverage professional. Thank you so much for your time. Hey, thank you guys so much for having me. It's uh, an honor to be here. Yeah, it's awesome to have you. What are, so where are you first right now? Uh, I'm in Austin, Texas. Cool. So you you stayed through the whole thing? <laughs> I survived the whole thing, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so what have you – so I mean obviously um, as a beverage professional, you get to encounter tons of awesome liquids. Um, what are you drinking right now that you're really excited about? Um, so actually this past weekend, um, the restaurant that I worked for wrapped up our last day of service at our, our initial location. And so it was kind of a big, uh, you know, we saw a lot of our friends and regulars that came out to support us in our last night. So I actually got to drink quite a bit of delicious things this past (laughs) weekend, um, which is really special, but some of the highlights for me for sure were, um, one of my favorite winemakers is Hervé Suhot, who makes uh, some really beautiful Syrah and Gamay out of um, Ardèche from the Northern Rhone. And uh, we drank his single vineyard St. Epine Syrah out of Magnum. Oh, wow. That's um, cool. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like not wines that I get to drink every day, but certainly like in the moment, it was such a beautiful night. Um, so drink that. Uh, I drank some uh, Vouet Sorbet uh, Blanc d'Argile Champagne, which... Champagne is something I, I unfortunately don't drink as much as I would like to, of course. Um, and then uh, I would say during the snowpocalypse a few weeks ago, I was definitely definitely drinking some more scotch, uh, just given the um, you know the, the below sub freezing temps here. I feel like I've I've gone on a I you know I've talked about this already on the podcast with Zach, but I've gone like on a big scotch kick recently where I feel like. I've enjoy, I'm enjoying it a lot more than I'm enjoying other whiskeys for some reason. Yeah. I can't really explain why, but I find it to be much more, I don't know, mellow and pleasurable to drink if that's a way to explain it. I, like, just isn't like in my face in the way that bourbon is, even though like it feels like everyone else around me is only drinking bourbon when they're drinking whiskey. Yeah. So what scotch were you drinking? Um, Ardbeg. Awesome. That is in your face. That is in your face, though. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big, like, Talisker Ardbeg. Like, I like the really peaty, smoky kinds of scotch. I'm not as much into bourbon just because it's a little bit too too sweet, and I typically don't like, I don't know, super oaky things in general. So yeah. um, scotch somehow seems to just hit all the right notes for me. Awesome. So, um, Ronnie, let's talk about you, and let's talk about uh, Lift Collective. So, um, first of all, you know, can you can you explain to us a little bit you know, for those listening, what Lift Collective is and how it started. 
Yeah. Um, so thanks. You did a great job re- reading our mission statement at the beginning. But <laughs> Thank um, you. <laughs> I've stumbled over those words quite a few times myself. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Lyft Collective is a nonprofit organization um, that I started in 2018, formerly known as Wonder Women of Wine. Um, and it started off as a, actually a two-day conference here in Austin, Texas, um, that was basically a way of bringing together some of the most inspiring women in wine that I knew at the time to really celebrate to, to celebrate women um, and to really find a way to like build up our networking and create safe spaces for us to have conversations about some of the, you know, um, I think harder experiences that we've, we've shared um, coming up in the wine industry. And, um, you know, now that we're going into our third year, uh, we really felt compelled, especially this past year to expand um, our mission statement to be more inclusive um, of all identities in wine, because we really feel like everyone has to be on board to start advocating for the change that we want to see if we want to make a difference. Um, so, uh, you know, we're really focused on collaborating with uh, other organizations and individuals to support, you know, the work that they're doing um, and also finding ways that we can work together to achieve the change that we want to see faster. Yeah, so we focus on, you know, uh, an annual conference, but we also do things like data research and um, weekly interviews with inspiring people in wine um, and scholarship opportunities. And I'm really curious, actually, about that specific uh, last thing you mentioned, because I think one thing that is um, has come across to me as a, as a challenge for some uh, who are maybe in positions of power and privilege in the industry is understanding how, you know, if they wanted to to do good, to reach out to those who have traditionally been marginalized, both in the wine world and just broadly in society, understanding how to to make scholarships meaningful, I think has been a, a question that I've received. And I'm wondering if that's something you could talk a little bit about, about kind of how, how what you do, you know, really kind of provides genuine opportunities, because sometimes I think scholarships end up being a, here's $500 to quote unquote study, which is fine, but isn't necessarily going to get someone who who's already marginalized, you know, on equal footing. Totally. That's such a solid point. And I think something that we've tried to pay a lot more attention to in the past year is, you know, giving somebody money while it's helpful certainly doesn't solve the problem of how they feel when they actually get into the spaces they want to get into, if they can get there. Um, and so, you know, we, we've tried to establish our scholarships in a way where we're being able to use our net, our ever growing network to make the right connections for people to kind of mentor them through, you know, the different opportunities that exist. So if somebody is doing like an educational development scholarship, um, are we kind of going over all the opportunities on how to use those funds, which, you know, organizations are maybe better to, to study with. Um, and then also like we're developing an entrepreneurial scholarship right now. And, you know, we want to make sure that we are doing follow- regular follow-up meetings, kind of mentoring them through starting their own business or their own organization after they've received those funds so that, you know, we don't just feel like, you know, we're throwing money at somebody like money is empowering, but I think making those connections seems to certainly be like one of the biggest components of being able to advance in this industry is just having those, those relationships. Do you think, I mean, through the industry is, is relationship sort of like the thing that stands out as sort of the, the catalyst for, for most people to, to push forward in their career? I know it seems that way covering it, but I've, I'm curious from your uh, perspective as someone, you know, in the industry working. Yeah. I mean, 
That's actually a great question. Um, we did our first gender uh, sort of state of gender e- equity in the wine industry last year, and 73% of the respondents that we surveyed said that they believe that career advancement is definitely mostly relationship-based. Um, and that bo- that's something that both women and men equally agree on. But we found that uh, women were more likely to have fewer or zero mentors when compared to men. And so we know that like mentorship is such a big component of being able to you know, utilize those relationships and um, understand your opportunities for advancement. So yeah, definitely relationships. And so in terms of mentorship, because I'm curious about this, is it mentorship in, you know, so I think when someone who's not in the wine industry hears about mentorship in wine, I think the thing we ultimately think about, and I'm ta- I'm speaking from, from myself because I've never worked on the floor, right? As Oh, like wine knowledge mentorship, but I feel like it's more than that, right? Is it, are you talking about also mentorship in terms of just, here's how you should pursue your career and here are moves that you could make and here are opportunities for you. Like what, what does mentorship, what should mentorship in the wine industry look like? Um, so I really feel that, you know, mentorship doesn't always have to be a super formal type of relationship and that, you know, mentorship really is a, is a two way relationship. So both both parties involved should be getting something out of the relationship. And I think that it should be about presenting as many opportunities as possible rather than kind of forcing somebody down one path. You know, for me personally, like I felt early in my career that I was sort of pushed down. You have to study with the Court of Master Sommeliers to to be able to advance in this industry. And I wish that I had known about all the different ways that I could pursue certification or education in this industry earlier so that I wouldn't have personally like wasted so much money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, I think it's it's about it's definitely about presenting different opportunities. It's also about just expanding people's um, networks so that they can see all the different perspectives and experiences and also being able to get mentorship from somebody maybe that, you know, can share uh, what you have experienced. And then also people that maybe don't necessarily um, have the same background as you, but they can equally get something out of your own experience and your perspective. That makes, yeah, makes a lot of sense. I'm curious, just want to kind of focus a little more on the upcoming uh, conference, because, you know, for many of our listeners, that's an opportunity to get involved that is uh, immediate and, and coming up. And, you know, just looking, obviously, there's a lot of really interesting panels and conversations that you have planned. And I'm not going to ask you to pick a favorite because I know I, I, that's an impossible thing. But just I, I'm wondering, Ronnie, if you could highlight just a couple that maybe are that either you're, um, you think are, are particularly, again, I, I, this is going to sound like I'm asking to pick favorites. I'm really not. But, but uh, you know, maybe you can highlight a couple that for, for one reason or another are, are maybe particularly resonant to you. Yeah. Um, it, you are definitely asking me to pick a favorite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not but cool. I said I was trying not to. <laughs> Just tell, tell, us, tell us some of the sessions that yeah, people should know one. about that would make them if excited to attend. Thank definitely. you. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, one that I'm really excited about is actually our uh, one of our first day events, and that's um, reimagining wellness and wine. Um, and I, I think that this topic is super interesting and important, especially from like a 2021 perspective, because there's so much conversation out there culturally just about like wellness in general, but we often forget to talk about sort of the commodification of wellness and how um, so many different 
you know, organizations or companies out there push wellness as something that you kind of, you have to pay for. And one way that we can, can and should be addressing that today is talking about, you know, educating um, professionals on consumption and safe drinking practices. And I feel like we spend so much time teaching our staff, you know, maybe at a restaurant um, about how to know when we're over serving somebody and sort of the, you know, the precautions that come with over drinking and sort of the danger that comes from that. But we don't give ourselves that same courtesy. And because we're in this industry that is constantly surrounded by drinking, we kind of don't realize sometimes when we're crossing that line of I'm drinking for my profession and I'm drinking now just because I like to drink and it kind of is happening more frequently and um, in larger quantities. And so, um, you know, I'm just excited to kind of explore that path and talk about what organizations exist out there today to support um, wine professionals in that journey and understanding as well, the more that we take care of ourselves, the better that we can, you know, advocate for others and also practice self-advocacy in our careers. So I, you know, before you talk about other sessions, I think this is an incredible session that you're doing. And I'm curious because I've I've always wondered this about wine. I feel like, especially, and, and maybe beer is guilty of it too. I feel like you know, spirits has had had this reckoning a few years ago where you know at you know the it, half of the sessions at tails now deal with overconsumption and stuff like that. And I've always wondered if like wine, you know, I come from wine as as my first passion too. Like, are we too scared to talk about it? Right. It's because it's this thing we think of as like, Oh, well, no, we're nosing the glass and we, you know, people collect this stuff and it's art and we eat it with food that no one wants to actually talk about the fact that there's alcohol in it and that people get drunk. And, you know, I think that, so I guess my, my question is, you know, have you have you had that sense too? And was that part of the reason you wanted to sort of push this forward? Because I think it's it's really commendable that you're having this conversation because I have not seen a lot of other people be willing to, in the wine industry, talk about this kind of subject matter. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm pretty unfamiliar with the spirits world, but I, I have no doubt that that conversation probably has started certainly several years before wine. Um for me, like we we were going to cover this topic last year, but I'm really excited in a way that uh, we got to hold off on it and actually tackle it this year because I think a lot of the conversations that I've been hearing and, and been a, a, you know privy to are we've seen so many stories come out about power abuse um, in the industry, and a lot of the times in you know, when people have sort of brought up these stories um, in the past about how they've experienced harm at the hands of others in more powerful positions, so many people have brushed those things off as like, oh, well, they were just drunk and, um, you know, they didn't mean it or did, you know, they're harmless. Um, And there's always something about alcohol being involved and not saying that I definitely don't think that um, alcohol is to to blame for certain people's um, character flaws or, you know. Exactly issues, but I think that it's definitely an important conversation that we're having about, well, how much, how, how much more harm is happening because we don't set these boundaries for ourselves. Um, and we, you know, people are, I don't know, just, just drinking too much. It's becoming unhealthy. There's so many people that have stories about losing friends, um, to, to over drinking or to DUIs or, you know, it's just, it's a very prevalent issue. And I think that we have barely, you know, or we're just barely scratching the surface with this topic. 
Yeah, for sure. I wonder too, is there a way in which, in addition to the whole, the pertinence of it, given what you discussed, uh, the sort of stories of abuse of power and, and others, is there something about this last year and how, I mean, it's been incredibly difficult on everyone in, in the world in some sense, but, you know, first people in the beverage alcohol trade, for many at least, it's been a very challenging year. Professionally, you know, those of us who work in restaurants and things like that have certainly faced unprecedented challenges. And for a lot of people, even outside of this industry, of course, alcohol has been both maybe a relief, but also maybe a crutch or even worse. And, and, and in that sense, not that that is unique to this last year, obviously, that is as long as alcohol has been around, that's how people have been using it in some way. But it does feel like one thing that is seems true to me is with with many people not really going out and, and living life, um, you know, kind of publicly, because most people are at home much, if not all the time, you don't have that same potential for someone else to notice what you are doing and maybe say something to you. And so it, it feels right. especially pertinent right now. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, it's obviously always been somewhat of a coping mechanism for a lot, but I definitely think, you know, what is happening <laughs> behind closed doors. I mean, we've seen obviously like retail sales spike uh, s- exponentially in the past year since the pandemic. And I think that also just in restaurant culture, I mean, a lot of restaurants are still, you know, operating in some capacity today. And as a hospitality professional, we tend to use um, alcohol as like a form of currency, right? Whenever our peers come in to visit us um, after they get off their shift, like we always want to, you know, it's a form of care, but we're still, let me pour you a glass of wine. Um, Let me top off your drink or something like that. And so we, I don't think that's, you know, obviously those are great intentions, but it's also just kind of furthering, (laughs) furthering the issue. Totally. So what are some other sessions that we should be aware of? Um, so Ashton Berry is one of our keynote speakers, and she's going to be talking about actually that sort of that very topic about addressing um, abuse within the hospitality industry, which I think, you know, um, restaurants have taken such a hit in this past year, but really identifying, I think, violence and power abuse issues within, um, you know, relationships between guests and employees, um, and how we can start really implementing more uh, zero tolerance policies uh, instead of, you know, the, the guest is always right, the customer is always right mentality and how we should be better protecting our employees, um, but then also between employers and employees. Um, and she's just such a powerful speaker and such a source of inspiration for me and, and a lot that I've learned in the past year. So I'm really, really excited to be working with her. Can you, just for people who aren't familiar with who Ashton is, can you tell us quickly uh, a little bit about her background? Um, yeah, so um, she is a transformative justice advocate um, who's based in uh, Louisiana, and um, she founded uh, a conference as well called Resistance Served. That Resistance Served. She had to unfortunately postpone um, her conference this year, but she was going to be talking about underground economies within the hospitality industry. But she just does a lot of um, really great like IGTV IGTV videos, um, just about you know. Uh, supporting survivors, marginalized groups, you know, kind of dissecting these really big cultural movements in a way that I think can seem, um, you know, uh, somewhat shocking to people at first, but the more that you like listen to her and actually start to process the information internally, um, she, she just has a really amazing way of, of looking at things. And I think kind of just talking the real talk that a lot of people, (laughs) I think maybe skirt around, um, but just, fascinating to listen to. 
And so for for people who are interested, let, maybe let's give a little bit of the details for how they actually attend uh, the conference. Yeah, so it is um, fully virtual this year, which I'm very excited about. I think it uh, creates a lot more opportunities for be able for people to be able to attend rather than having to take off a week from work and fly in and get a hotel. Um, it's much more cost effective. But uh, the event itself is taking place on March 23rd and 24th from 1 to 5 Eastern time. And uh, we're doing, for the main part of the conference, for those windows, we'll have uh, four panel discussions and two keynote presentations. And uh, anyone that purchases a general admission ticket uh, will have access to all six of those conversations. And then we have um, some special events that we're doing um, as uh, part of our all-access tickets before and after the event. Um, For instance, the one that Adam is speaking on. Uh, will be at the beginning of the first day, and that is a conversation with fearless change makers and leaders who have opened doors. Um, so that'll be moderated by Falana Bouvier, and um, some of the other panelists will be Julia Coney, um, who's the founder of Black Wine Professionals, uh, Annette Alvarez Peters, who was the global buyer for Costco for many years, Becky Wasserman Hone, who is uh, such an amazing uh, inspiration and and Burgundy Broker, and then Stephanie Honig from Honig Sellers and Adam. And then uh, we also have a tasting, the only tasting component. You can't have a wine conference, apparently, without having some piece of wine involved. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> but we're doing a conversation, actually, with um, uh, some of the people who lead um, I- industry sessions. And so that'll be moderated by um, Yurka Uray, uh Jade Marley and Etienosa Emokpai talking about decolonizing wine. And we'll be tasting a few different wines and sort of dissecting the history of those regions and decolonization. Um, And then our last uh, special event will be about the future of diversity and inclusion. And that'll be moderated by Leah Jones, who is one of my Be The Change co-founders and um, the executive director for diversity in food and beverage. And some of her panelists will be Tahira Habibi from the Hugh Society, um, IC Lu, Martin Reyes, and Anjali Rimi. Wow. And so people can can obviously go to the website, uh, which is liftcollective.org to find out more about how to register and all that, right? Yes, yes. Um, we, yeah, tickets are still on sale. We'll be closing off our all access tickets in the next week or so. So we're really trying to encourage people to get those while they can. And it's just, I'm, so I'm like geeking out so much over this this group of people that is speaking at this event. It's really such an incredible and inspiring, um, yeah, group of uh, panelists and speakers. Is having the conference virtually made it easier to get speakers? I think in a way it certainly has. Um, you know, I thought initially kind of naively going into this, I was like, oh, well, we planned out this full conference last year. It was postponed because um, that was the start of the pandemic. And I'm like, oh, we'll just put everything online and it'll be so easy. Um, but it's completely different, um, and it's certainly presented its own set of challenges. But I think it is such a, a, a better way for people to get involved and, and to speak when you can just sort of tune in from your living room, and um, we don't have to coordinate flights and schedules and people taking time off of work. We know everyone's so busy, so we're glad we can do it in this way. Yeah, it, it, it does. It's, it's interesting how like digital has been its own sort of huge amount of work, but then also (laughs) has given this ability to reach so many more people. Do you, I mean, in terms of registrants now, I I would assume you probably have people who registered who probably aren't even in the U.S. 
You know, that's, oh, I haven't looked at the breakdown, but I imagine that we probably will have um, quite a few. And since the the content and the videos will be downloadable um, mm -hmm. after the oh, event, cool. we're really hoping that, um, that that'll help kind of expand the international uh, attendance. That's awesome. Well, Ronnie, this has been really cool to learn more about the Collective and the conference. I'm obviously, as I said, super honored to be joining. Thank you for having me. Um, and thank you for coming on the podcast and telling us more about it. What you are doing is really important and you are just an absolute force in this industry. So thank you so, so much for, for taking the time to come on and talk to us. Thank you so much. And I'm very excited um, to be to be talking to you guys and uh, so looking forward to this conference in less than three weeks. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal, who does all the editing and loves to get the credit. Also, I would love to give a special shout out to my VinePair co-founder, Josh Mallon, for helping me make all this possible. And also to Keith Beavers, VinePair Tasting Director, who is additionally a producer on this show. I also want to, of course, thank every other member of the VinePair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making this show every week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again. Our culture is changing, and so should wine. Our response to the shift, Lyft Collective, formerly Wonder Women of Wine, is a multi-channel platform innovating the constructs of the wine world through thoughtful discussion, scholarship, opportunities, and mentorship. We're less about behind-the-scenes efforts made by select few and more about collaboration, conversation, and transparency between our partners and collaborators. Rooted in advocacy, Lyft Collective welcomes all people to the chat. Interested in learning more? Tickets are now on sale for its annual conference